0: Sorry, I ditched the robe this morning because I'm getting hot up here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get fired up here, so I want to be able to do that. Thank you, Dave. The God bless the liturgists while we're doing Ruth. Right? They've got a big long passage to read. Uh, last week we did start our series on the book of Ruth. If you missed it, you can catch up uh, online. But I, I do want to give a little bit of a recap. Otherwise, today's not gonna make a lot of sense to you. Uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, in a chaotic time of ethics and famine in Israel, decided to leave the promised land and their farm in Bethlehem to head to Moab. Now, Moab was a pretty dark place of a lot of wild living. And uh, also their their worship included child sacrifices. The Moabites were not liked by the Israelites. You, You weren't supposed to go there. You weren't allowed to marry them. But Elimelech and Naomi go there, and it seems to be sort of a a rebellious thing, a rejection of God. While they're there, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with her two sons. Her two sons marry Moabite women, because that's where they are, and that's the women that they're meeting. Uh, But uh, after years and years of not being able to have a male uh, child, not having any children... Both of her sons die, leaving her with just her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Now this is a very dangerous situation because women cannot own property, they cannot hire workers, and they cannot testify in court. Which means if uh, she was assaulted in any way, there's no way to prosecute, no way um, to defend herself, uh, no real way to make a living. Naomi is too old to be remarried. Uh, And if she goes back home, she has rejected those people and left. Um, But if she goes home and takes the Moabite girls with her, they're not going to be welcome there either. She's just sort of stuck. And really, the only future they have is to beg or to glean, and we'll explain that here in a minute. Um, But there's not a lot of future and not a lot of hope for these women. So she tells her daughter-in-laws to go back, and one does. But Ruth makes this great proclamation that, no, 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 no. I 'm going with you, and only by death may I be uh, away from you. Really, she converts. She says to, to Naomi, "May God may your God be my God and your people, my people." It's a conversion of sorts that she 's going to follow and be a part of uh, the people that Naomi is a part of and worship the people that, worship the God that Naomi worships. So they go back to Bethlehem because they heard that the famine is over. And and when they get back, Naomi tells everybody, don't call me Naomi, because that word means pleasure. Okay, Her her name means pleasure. She says, don't call me that. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. And she says she comes home empty. She doesn't come home totally empty. She has Ruth, the Moabite. But who's going to like a Moabite? Nobody's going to like or accept a Moabite woman there. And so really, she's not seen as a strength for Naomi. She's seen as a liability. And they both, after years of, of Ruth not being able to have children, of uh, all that they've been through and losing two sons and husbands, and they feel cursed. They feel like the God has left them. And the question is, what will happen to them? How will they survive? And as we get into chapter 2, um, we're going to see the start of how they're going to survive. But first, let me note an important idea about how you read the Bible. This is just really good information for you to think about whenever you read the Bible. Okay, I hope this doesn't come as news to you, but the Bible was not written in English. Okay? It wasn't. Paul didn't write the King James Version. Okay, It's not how it works. It was written primarily in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. Now, both those languages are really interesting in in their original forms because, number one, they don't have capital letters and lowercase letters. Greek gets it later, but originally it's just all uppercase letters. There's no punctuation originally, and there's no space between words. Okay, if you were just to read original Greek and Hebrew, it was just a bunch of letters in a row. You had to figure it out. Hebrew did not even have vowels. It was just consonants. And they write them backwards. Okay? Those of us who have gone to seminary, it's just torture to try to figure this stuff out. Okay? Um, but how do you, when you're writing with no punctuation, no caps lowercase, how do you emphasize what you want people to understand is going on in the text. How do you do that? Well, there's a couple tools that get used often in the Bible, and if you learn how to look for them, it can really help you read the Bible. One is the order. The order that you write stuff in becomes really important. What do you say first? What do you say last? What do you say in the middle? That becomes huge. Um, Also repetition. What words are repeated? What phrases are repeated that sort of give you a hint as to the meaning? We saw that in chapter one. 12 times the author of Ruth uses the word for turn or go back, but it's really the word for repent. The whole story is about Ruth repenting and turning back to God. And so 12 times the author uses the same word repent. You get to the point where you think, this must be about repenting, right? The author continues to do that in this chapter. Okay, in chapter 2, it begins with almost an, inter- an, an interruption. We're introduced to Boaz out of turn. Actually, we get reintroduced to him in verse 3. But in verse 1, it says, here's Boaz, and he's a worthy man, meaning he's a man of character and honor. And he's a relative of Elimelech. That's going to become a big detail later in the story. So Ruth tells Naomi that she's going to go glean. And and the author has already pointed out, well, we better watch for Boaz because Boaz becomes important in this process. Gleaning was a command from God in the Old Testament. The Israelites were forbidden to to harvest the edges of their fields. So all around the fields, they would have left crops standing so that if people were poor or sojourners, they could come and they could get the crops. They also were forbidden to go back over their land. So when you go go through, we have... uh, Machines to do a lot of this now but it used to be that you would go through and glean your fields you'd get all the grapes you could in one pass or whatever the the barley in this case you weren't allowed to go back and get more you had to leave what was left so that people could come after you that couldn't fend for themselves like widows Like foreigners who were in your land, it was a way of taking care of them. So the farmers would leave it, and then people would come all day and glean, and they would glean the freshest stuff right after the farmers would go through. So they would go through harvest, and then you'd see a line of people picking up what was left by the harvesters. And Ruth says, all right, I'm going to go do that. And the author keeps reminding us again and again, again repeating That Ruth is the Moabite. She's never just Ruth. She's Ruth the Moabite. Why? So we remember her status in the community. We remember the problems she has. Because she can be uh, abused. She can be messed with while she's traveling. uh, Either with all these other people who are gleaning or by the farmers themselves. This is dangerous to go and glean with no one to defend her. But she takes the risk. Still trying to take care of Naomi. Because what else are they going to do? The text then says she happens into the field of Boaz. This is another interesting place in the Hebrew because what it really says is she happens to happen into the field. Okay, You could translate it, by chance she happens into the field of Boaz. Now why repeat? Because the author's kind of winking at us right now. Does she really happen into that field? No, something bigger is going on. She goes into that field, and God is really guiding her steps. Then, by chance, Boaz comes to the field to see his workers. Now, Boaz, as the owner of the field and the head of the workers, he doesn't actually have to go to the field. Okay? He's the owner. He's got somebody we see in the text that manages the workers. But he decides to stop by the field on the day that Ruth is there and that the author even gives us a hint the author says behold boaz comes look watch here's that boaz guy i was just telling you about here he shows up and he walks in and he blesses his workers in the name of the lord and they bless him back we see that he really is a worthy man he's a man who is honoring god who blesses his workers and who his workers bless back i don't know what kind of bosses you've had But we probably all had bosses that we would not have blessed in the name of the Lord. We had other words for that boss. (laughs) But this is a boss who is worthy and who his workers honor when they see him come. Okay, this is a good guy. And he notices this Moabite woman. Everybody has noticed the Moabite woman. Okay, everybody notices her. And he asks, whose young woman is this? Now... This is a moment where feminist scholars have a field day with the text. Whose young woman is this? How outrageous. Now, we just have to understand when we read the Bible sometimes that it does come from a different time. Uh, Even some of you can remember your parents and grandparents fighting maybe for voting, right, for women. I mean, that's a relatively new thing. Remember that this passage is at least 2,500 to 3,000 years old and so it, it was a different time, and women were looked at a different way. But at the same time, I don't think Boaz is asking this uh, to put down women or in some kind of ownership of women. What he's saying is, who is protecting this woman? Okay, who, who is, who's got this woman's back? Okay, who, who is protecting this woman from what can happen to her when she's out here in the fields? And so he, he goes to the servant in charge of the reapers and, and asks... And she said, oh, she's a Moabite. She she doesn't use her name. You wouldn't have used a Moabite's name. But, But notice, everybody knows who she is. The rumor mills of Bethlehem have been cooking. We all know about this new Moabite that's come. We all know that Naomi is back. And so Ruth has asked permission to glean in the field. That's interesting. She doesn't have to ask permission. If she had asked permission, a lot of fields would have told a Moabite, no. But she does. She goes the extra length to ask permission to go in this field, and she's told that she can, and she works hard with very little rest, the servant reports to Boaz. She's a hard worker who does the honorable thing to ask if she can go in a field that really she should be allowed to go into anyway. And so Boaz seems to recognize her strength and her character. So one of the things about people of character I have found, people of character tend to recognize other people of character. And and here he is, Boaz comes and recognizes the hard work and the character of this Moabite. And so he goes to talk with her, and I'm sure she was nervous as he approached. But he calls her daughter this term of kindness and endearment, term of respect and care. And he has already instructed his people not to touch her. He knows even his own workers may be unkind to her. He tells her to stay near his women that that are gleaning and to drink out of the well when the men bring up the water so that she's not alone. And Ruth is shocked by his kindness. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She recognizes that this kindness is above and beyond what is expected. Now, immediately in our culture, we start to question Boaz's kindness. Is he attracted to Ruth? Does he want Ruth for himself? Does this kindness come with strings attached? But, but some of our own assumptions say more about our own culture than that culture. Okay? The text hints at none of that, just that he is kind, a man of character who is being kind and caring for this woman, that he sees she is also an honorable woman. He tells her that he has heard her story and seen her character. He is praying that the Lord repays her for her kindness. And he also uses a great image, that she has found refuge under the wings of God. This is such a powerful image that here we are, maybe some 3,000 years later, 3,000 years later, and we still use this image of being tucked under a wing. Have you ever taken somebody under your wing? Or did somebody ever take you under their wing, a a sort of a mother bird protection motif? We still use it in our imagery today. And Boas says, that's that's you do. God has taken you under his wing. Although here's the reality. Boaz is also taking her under his wing. Boaz is also showing some concern for her. And at mealtime, he extends more kindness. He welcomes her at his table with his workers. To welcome someone at your table is to accept them. You don't have a lot of strangers over at your table, do you? In fact, you probably know people pretty close that have never been over to your table. To extend your table is to extend welcome and grace and hospitality. When Jesus is eating with all kinds of people in his life, people get mad about it because to eat with them is to accept them. And so he accepts this Moabite woman and he lets her eat there. In fact, she has so much left over. She gets like a little doggy bag to take home of leftovers from Boaz's plate. And he tells his workers to just let her glean, let her glean from the stuff we haven't already picked. And in fact, take some of the stuff when you're gleaning and just leave it there so she can pick it up. He's really, really taking care of her, and all day she cleans, she gleans, she works hard, and comes home with an efa or an effa of barley. And I know what you're all thinking: Wow, a whole effa—that's great. <laughs> to put this in perspective, this is probably about thirty pounds of barley that she ha- hauls home. Thirty pounds. How many of you can haul thirty pounds? Okay. We now know Ruth's kind of tough too. Thirty pounds of barley. That she brings home. That's more than enough barley for these two women to eat for over a week. And in fact, that's more than enough grain for them to go out and trade so they don't have to eat just barley. They've got plenty to start trading. I mean, they can make a pretty good living and take care of themselves with this kind of gleaning. That's one day of gleaning. She also brings home leftovers from the meal of Boaz. And Naomi immediately looks at her and says, Wow. That's probably not what she said, but it's not in the text. But I would, right? You brought home leftovers. She brought home 30 pounds of barley. Where were you? And she immediately blesses. She immediately blesses whoever has brought this, whoever showed kindness, not even knowing who it is. She said, Bless the man. Bless the man who, who, who showed you such hospitality. Ruth says, His name is Boaz. And Naomi exclaims, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, remember how I said authors of the Bible also use repetition and word order. Well, sometimes the other tool that authors of the Bible will use is themes, biblical themes or key biblical words at certain times that point to larger things. And that has happened here, although you can't totally tell in the English. The Hebrew word for kindness is the word hased, hased, And translators have notoriously had trouble figuring out how to translate this, whether it's kindness, loving kindness, mercy, loyalty, loyal kindness. It's a little hard to get around, get a grasp of in English because we don't really have a context for the meaning of this word. See, this is a word related to covenants, and we don't have covenants anymore. In those days, there are no contracts, there's no lawyer. So how do you make a deal and make sure somebody is going to stick with it? Well, you made a covenant, which is way above a deal or an agreement. In a covenant, you were making a commitment that every party did. And even if the other party didn't do their part, you were committed to do your part. Okay, this is not just a deal where, oh, you broke your side of the deal, I'm out. No, a covenant was something that you committed to and when you made a covenant you would typically take something like a lamb and cut it in half and you would lay the two halves of the lamb out on each side and you would walk down the middle and the the symbolism was may the same thing happen to me that happened to this lamb if i don't do my part of the covenant okay they're pretty serious about their covenants Okay, So much so that in the Bible, you you don't make a covenant. In Hebrew and in other languages of that time, you don't make a covenant. The language is you cut a covenant. You cut a covenant because that's what you did. And that's the seriousness of the covenant. In the Old Testament, God had cut a covenant with Israel. That he would be their God and they would be their people. And let's be honest, the Israelites had done a terrible job on their half of the covenant. They just hadn't done it. And we're in the period of the judges right now, where they're really every generation does what's right in their own eyes. And God keeps trying to bring them back and keeps bringing judges to bring them back and keeps using other armies to bring them back and uses famine to bring them back. But, but the idea is that even though Israel is not true to their side of the covenant, God is. God is just radically kind and graceful to these people. Keep trying to bring them back. Even though they're so rebellious. Keep trying to bring them back. She Keep trying to give them chances. That he's exceedingly kind to them. And that kind of loyalty that God has. That kind of kindness that God has in his covenant. Is called chesed. It's this word. And so it, it's, a, it's a loyal kind of love. And here's Naomi using this word. She is talking about the Lord. Well, let me read that again, because it could almost sound like she's talking about Boaz. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, has said, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Is this the Lord's kindness, or is it Boaz's kindness? The text is actually kind of ambiguous, and I kind of wonder if it's ambiguous on purpose. Clearly, Boaz is extending great kindness for Ruth and Naomi. And we've seen it again and again in this chapter. But I wonder if Naomi is also seeing God's kindness to her in the middle of this. Which is a big deal. Because Naomi has had everyone calling her Mara because God dealt so bitterly with her. Remember? The whole thing is still this debate that we have going on in the back of our heads and clearly in the front of Naomi's thinking. Is God truly kind? After God has done so much to us that we feel is bitter, is God actually for us or not? And Naomi's not sure. Naomi's not sure. But then Boaz comes along and shows his kindness to them. And Naomi wonders if maybe God's kindness is behind that kindness. And I have learned over the years that often... God's kindness comes through the kindness of his people. That when God wants to show his kindness to others, he does it through our kindness. When we have an opportunity to go above and beyond and give kindness to other people. Probably you have been in times like Naomi. Times where you felt God has been bitter with us, with you. Time when God has abandoned us or worse, has had it in for us. The longer I follow God, the more I figure out that he does not do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Anybody else figuring that out? He just seems to not care what I want. He has some other plans and purposes that never fit what I want. And we have all felt vulnerable and in danger when something happens outside of our control. Either something to us. Or when we go to a doctor and he tells us that something's happening within us, and our own body turns against us, or as we've watched a loved one slip away, we've all felt bitterness and wondered where God is. Where is God? Is God truly chesed? Is He truly kind and loving in His commitments? Or are we feeling the sting of something something else? Naomi is bitter. Notice she doesn't even go out to glean with Ruth. Do you notice that? Go ahead, Ruth. You go. I'm just going to sit here. She's kind of moping on the couch, I guess. She's just content to die there. Have you ever been there, where you can't barely get off the chair? We have no 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 feeling of life, no willingness to go do anything. But Ruth has a different response. Ruth has lost much also, and she finds herself in a foreign land where she is in danger, but she doesn't lose her character. It's so easy when we get bitter, when we get down to lose our character, to cheat, to cut corners, to lie, to manipulate, to try to get what we want, what we think has been robbed from us. But but Ruth doesn't do that. She keeps her character. She keeps her head up. She keeps working hard. She keeps doing the honorable thing. She keeps taking the risk. In fact... You could say Ruth has quite a bit of chesed here too. Quite a bit of kindness in the way she is taking care of Naomi. And her efforts are noticed by Boaz. He gives such kindness to a stranger and a foreigner. She is marginalized and she is at risk. And he risks his reputation for her. You think the rumor mill doesn't know that Boaz has let a Moabite be hanging around and be at his table? You think that hasn't happened? But Ruth and Boaz stand as examples for both how we should react in hard times and how we should treat others when they go through a hard times. Naomi recognizes this. She honors him and she blesses him and she uses this word, has said, sort of hinting at maybe God is not the bitter person that I thought he was. Maybe he's not the bitter God I thought he was. But she also says something else. That Boaz is a close relative, one of our redeemers. And we're going to look at this more in the coming weeks. But simply put, a redeemer is someone who's a close relative who had the opportunity and in some cases the responsibility to marry a widow to help her have a son so that the family name could go on. And so there's this hint that not only is Boaz kind, but he could be a long term solution for us. At least it's hinted that this is possible. But we know he's going to continue to be kind. So Naomi says, don't go to any other field. You stay at Boaz's field and you do what he says. And they continue through the barley harvest and through the wheat harvest. This is several months that this family is cared for and maybe a potential long-term solution is hinted at. But once again, we stop for the day. Sorry, kind of a cliffhanger series. (laughs) Because that's where the chapter stops. We've got to wait to see what happens. You can read ahead in your Bible if you want. But let me end with this. Do you think Ruth happens upon that field that day? And that Boaz just happens to go to the field that day when she's there? No. No. God has plans and purposes that are working out that we don't always know about in the moment. In fact, I have realized you don't always learn about him in hindsight either. Sometimes you don't know what God's plans are. And you know what? The Bible never promises that we get to know what God's plans were and his purposes were. But sometimes God's plans and purposes are missed just because of our bitterness. Because we're bitter, because we're angry, we can't see God at work because of the tears in our own eyes. And so I ask you to consider what God may be up to in your life that you haven't realized yet. I wonder where you will happen to be this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your grace, for your hased, for your loving kindness to us, though we don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve the opposite. Let us live with a boldness and an expectation that your loving kindness deserves. In Jesus' name, amen.